Trevor Firm Foundation hat on. You may have remembered about a month ago we interviewed Trevor as he went off to Haiti. He is now back from Haiti. Amazing, huh? Yeah, he came back. There we go. So uh, I've been following you on Facebook, but uh, but I want to hear the details a little bit. So tell us what happened. It looks like you built more than one house. Is that just Facebook? Or? No, no, that's true. Um, originally, we set out to build one house. And between the time we decided to build one and the trip, we were able to build five houses. Praise God. So. Now, was that, um, was that because the houses, because you raised more money or because the price was cheaper? Or what was it, it was a combination of both. Uh, we raised more money than we expected. And we were also able to find a better deal on the houses and the overall price. We were able to employ a bunch of Haitians for about 10 days. Um, wow. So overall, it was a really successful trip. Yeah. And we built five, but we sponsored even one more. So that's a total of six. So that's, that's really good wow. for us. Um, yes. So thank you. Thank you for all your prayers and all your support. Um, uh, how much time do I have? Uh, like, one one more minute? Yeah, all right. Um, we were also able to intervene on a fire. A fire broke out while we were oh, yeah. down there. That was pretty cool. And... Um, it, it, was a, it was a wooden house that caught on fire in one of the villages, and we saw it right at the end of our day. So we rushed over there. Um, the Haitians didn't really know how to put it out. There's no water. So we were able to coordinate a bucket brigade with buckets of dirt, and it took us close to an hour to put it out, but we were able to save basically the village. Like Some, some other houses were starting to catch on fire, and we put them out, and, and the crops and everything. So. That was really cool, yeah. and now we're thinking awesome. about possibly rebuilding for the, the, the people that lost their, their house there. Oh, cool. So that would be a really cool story. Yeah, that's, that's something cool. we're praying about right now. I like that. I like that. And, uh, you know, you can go on, like, our Facebook, New Community, Glendora Foursquare Church, whatever, Facebook. You can go on Firm Foundation Facebook. You can become friends. You can see those pictures. Trevor's right in the middle of, like, the, the – it's mostly out with the pictures, but there's some fires, and Trevor's throwing dirt on there. And so I was actually really glad when I, after I read a little bit more that you didn't set the fire right. or make a mistake <laughs> or anything like that. I was, and, and it wasn't Ooh. one of our houses. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. I thought, oh, no, what is it? You know. So uh, praise God, though, huh? Six, six homes. Yep. I mean, basically fit five in another one, and uh, that's just the beginning, right? I remember I, a month ago when we interviewed you, we said, hey, this is just the beginning. Snowball's going to, you know, get rolling, and that's exactly what God did. He accelerated it, and so I know you're going to be having, like, a benefit coming up mm -hmm. soon sometime. We'll figure that yeah, out. within the next few months. Yeah, so let's keep praying and keep standing behind and standing with people in our church who are doing this, right? A couple of people going on missions trips, people like Trevor and all that, right? Man, we're on mission with Jesus. Cool, thanks, man. Thank you. Proud of you, man. Awesome, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, we'll get, we're going to get to the Word right now, huh? All right. Man, it's cool. It's good to hear what's going on, huh? Lots of family things going on, and we just want to honor people who are graduating. I don't know if you noticed. There was actually a few people who weren't here, but there was a lot of people who you know, were not in their 20s. Who are graduating from stuff. And I just wanted to honor him, you know, like, it's kind of, sorry, Fred, that's why I wanted to point you out. I, like, God, that's, that's a good thing that God is doing, right? Where people are hearing God and stepping into their calling, and it takes, takes hard work, it takes risk, it's kind of scary, especially when you're older, you know, and it, it takes money, and praise God, he, he, he provides, and he's going to come through. So, uh, we just honor people who are moving out in that, in that direction, if obviously the Lord is leading 
you specifically, but if, you, if the Lord is leading you to like go further in education, then trust the Lord and tell us, and we'll, we want to stand with you in prayer. So uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Romans 7, Romans 7, and we're continuing this series called Sinless, right? And if, if uh, h- how you guys doing? You walking in this? You believing God? Anyone? Anyone else? Just me. No, just joking. You, you believe in this? Believing that God wants you, he desires you, that he created you for a relationship with himself, and that he has been pursuing you, and that, that God's unrelenting pursuit led him to the cross, right? God, his own choice, his own love, his own grace, he chose to lay his life down, shed his own blood for you, right? And that we have, been, we have learned that because the blood of Jesus has been shed, we are perfect in Christ. And I know if you haven't been with us, you're like, Whoa, you can make that kind of statement? You can make this kind of statement like sinless? Oh yeah, it's in the word of God. Very, very clear. Pick up the CDs or pick it up, listen to the, the first couple messages on, online. But bottom line, we've been learning that because of the blood of Jesus, we've been washed and cleansed and purified and we are blameless, sinless, righteous in Christ. That the blood of Jesus is sufficient for that, amen? That, that if I have a disease and I receive a cure, then I am cured, Right? And if I was sinful and Jesus' blood has washed me and God doesn't remember my sin and he has imparted his own righteousness to me, then I am sinless. I'm cured, right? And last week we learned that literally God's spirit, God's spirit has come inside of you if you've put your trust in Jesus, right? If we're in Christ, of course. And if you've put your trust in Jesus, God's spirit has come on the inside of you to heal and redeem and restore you and has imparted the righteousness of Christ into you. This isn't just an idea. This isn't just some positive thinking. This is reality, amen? This is what we're learning. This is what we're learning, that, that, that this is what God has really, really done. And so we, we learn that, that in, at the fall, we were diseased, you know, kind of like the source of a, I said, if, if the source of a uh, spring or a fountain is polluted, everything else will become polluted, right? What, but God has healed the source, right? God has healed us in our spirit. And he's planted inside of us a righteousness seed. And that righteousness seed will bear right fruit. And when you heal the, 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 the source of the spring... Everything else is going to be healed in time. <clears throat> and so we're, we're, we're learning this, aren't we? We're learning this, that God enjoys us right now. That God delights in us right now because of who we are in Christ. Because we're sinless in Christ. He loves us and delights in us like he loves Jesus. We're righteous. His very nature is in us. The very, if you will, spiritual DNA of Jesus woven into us. His spirit and our spirit are one. We've been learning all about this. And you've been learning to stand in this truth, amen? Just walk in this every day. Think this way. Talk this way, right? And we've been trying to answer some of the questions that come up when we look at something like this. Like I think some, one of the big questions would be this. We'll try to answer it today. So you go, okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm sinless. I'm righteous in Christ. And you tell me that his spirit is in me and has made me righteous. And we looked at this, uh, we've looked at a couple of verses like this. Okay, okay, I'm, I'm a new creation. I'm a new creation. Okay, I'm a new creation. I'm righteous. Okay, Dave. Okay, got it. All right, that's cool. That's cool. Okay. Then what the heck is wrong with me? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, I'm just messing. I mean, it's like, okay, it's like, it's like, okay, okay, wait. Uh, you, you say this. 
You say this, but why am I struggling? Why do I still have brokenness? Why do I still struggle with sin? And, and, and over and over again, people will, will bring that as the main challenge, right? The main challenge. And in fact, one, one of the things that people really struggle with is, is simply this. And, and in fact, there are, there are churches that teach this. They'll say, if Christ is in you, you're born again, and you're righteous. Therefore, if you sin, you must not be a Christian. They'll literally teach that. They will teach that. Now, I'm not sure who's the standard. You know, It's usually them, right? It's usually whoever's teaching that, whoever's in control, they get to set the standard. And there are so many believers who, who have bought into that lie, you know? They're like, oh, yay, the gospel, born again, woo! But I'm a sinner, I'm still st- sinning, so I must not be saved, or something like that. Other people go to the other extreme where, oh, well, I'm a sinner, and, and I still struggle, so therefore I can't be righteous, I can't be perfect in Christ. That couldn't be true, right? So they're, they, 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 they're basing it on what, though? Themselves, right? I'm perfect in my actions, which can never happen, right, in ourselves. Or I'm struggling. So then they're basing their faith on themselves, right? That's, that's really the source of the struggle. But what have we been saying? We're saying that God has placed a righteousness seed inside of us. He's healed our spirit. He's, he's made our spirit perfect. We still have a soul with mind, will, and emotions that are still messed up. We still think wrong ways. We still have brokenness. We still have some feelings and, 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 and habits and our will still messed up. And we need that seed of righteousness his righteousness in us, to produce the fruit of righteousness in our character. To really see our mind transformed and our will transformed and everything we are transformed. And so here's what I want to, I just want to help you to see today from the word of God. Is that when you're struggling, when you still have wrong ways of thinking, when you still have... um, uh, uh, unbelief. When you have when you have rebellion, let's say you you put your trust in Jesus, but but you still you're like oh, but I say no to God sometimes. I mean, I resist God. You don't understand. I have so much pride. You don't understand, Dave. I mean, I I have like resisted Him. You know, I have this habitual sin in my life, and you don't understand. I struggle. You, I struggle with this. I want you to understand that in the midst of that, not only are we saying that God loves you and delights in you and that you're righteous, but I want you to understand you're not a hypocrite. Just because you're struggling doesn't mean you're not saved. Just because you're struggling doesn't mean you're not born again. Just because you're struggling does not mean you're a hypocrite. It simply means this. It means you're in process. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Don't worry, I'm going to go to the Word here in just a second. I just, want, I just want you to understand. This is what I want to show you right now. I want to help you to understand that a struggling, born-again Christian, it does not mean they're a hypocrite. It means that they're just in process. So are you perfect in Christ? Yes. Are you in process? Yes. Is there a righteousness seed in you? And is God producing righteousness fruit in you? And so it can be yes and yes. It can be now and not yet. It can be both and, right? It can be that you are becoming who you already are in Christ. Isn't that what we've been learning? You are becoming who you already are in Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is simply the manifestation of Jesus in your life. Right? 
Christ's character forming in you is simply the fruit of, the byproduct of, the righteousness that's already in you in Christ. You are becoming who you already are. You already are in Christ. You already are delighted in. You already are righteous. And he is producing that, causing you to be changed. And then, of course, using us, his righteousness, his character, his calling, his power, his life, flowing through us to other people. Amen? This is his strategy to heal our lives. This is his strategy to heal the world. And the problem is that we think that Christianity should be this instantaneous transformation. I should be done with sin like tomorrow. I should be over this doubt that I have tomorrow. I should just be able to forgive like that. I, should, I shouldn't have to struggle with rebellion like that. You know, when God tells me to go witness to that person, I should just be like, I'm born again. And yes, you know, like all the time, you know. You know, I should just like, oh, I'm forgiven and my past is in the blood. So all those abusive things that were said to me as a child just shouldn't matter anymore. Well, guess what they do? <laughs> you know, they still bug us and bother us and trip us up. And because we have brokenness on the inside of us. Because when we sin, when we, I mean, the, the, in the fall, Genesis 3, it fractured everything. And of course, there can be a guy who gets saved who was like, again, like a philanthropist, you know, and he was just amazing. And so he's got, his fracturing is just a little bit not as bad as like the axe murderer, you know? No, maybe. But really, really, can Jesus cause somebody who's hurt other people in horrible ways, can he redeem them and cause them to be born again in their spirit? Yes! So we don't like that because we want justice, but God's mercy triumphs over justice. But Tom, let me tell you, that guy over here, who's like really, really allowed demons to mess him up and maybe came from a real broken home. Now that guy's born again. Well, there's going to be a lot more work for that guy, right? It's just, it's just a lot more brokenness in that person. And so all of us are kind of starting at a, new, at a different place when we're coming to Jesus and our spirit. We're all same in Christ, but we all have these struggles. And I want you to see this in, in Romans 7 because I want you to understand that you're not a hypocrite, that you're just in process. You are perfect in Christ, but you're also in process. Of course, a person who would walk around, I'm perfect in Christ, I don't have any sin anymore. I mean, that's just foolishness, right? But to be like, oh, I'm just a sinner and I, I can never be like you, that would also be wrong, right? There's, there's a humility that comes with going, oh, I'm righteous in Christ, but it's not my righteousness, Christ's righteousness. And I'm in process as he's changed me and transforming me, right? But if you just hear my words, it, it might sound a little bit encouraging, but you're not going to walk in it, right? You've got to see this in the word, that this is really how God sees you. All right, so Father, open our eyes, show us in the word, convince us. What's really going on inside of us? Show us who we are in our spirit. It's righteous in you. And show us what you're doing in us to transform us and transform this world. Give us eyes to see as you see like we sang today. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Romans 7, many of us are familiar with um, how, we, how Paul starts out in verse 15. It's actually kind of a controversial passage of scripture, Romans 7, because, of, uh, because it's a, there's a struggle going on in Romans 7. Some people actually say that Paul's not saved here in this passage because, of course, if you're born again, you don't sin. I mean, it's just like silly. They're just superimposing these kind of concepts on the word instead of looking at what the word says. So what does the word say? He says, Paul, Paul's actually kind of talking about himself here. And he says in verse 15, for, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. And Paul is describing a battle going on inside of him. 
And the reality is every Christian has this struggle, has this battle going on on the inside of them. If you're not battling, you're probably just giving into sin, right? And literally, do you remember in Galatians 5? Galatians 5 says this, if you, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not gratify the cravings of the sinful nature. For the flesh wars against the Spirit, and the Spirit wars against the flesh. You know, a lot of translations capitalize in Galatians 5, that spirit as a capital S, as if my flesh, flesh simply means that part of me that's not redeemed yet, that broken, sinful part of me that gets associated with the world and gets poked at by demons, you know, tempted and all that. That, that flesh, he says the flesh and the spirit are warring. It's not talking about the Holy Spirit. Do you think the Holy Spirit's like, oh, here we go, I'm fighting against the flesh. Yo, I, oh, I'm gonna sin. You know, I mean, the Holy Spirit's not fighting. If you read it in context, he's saying walk in the Spirit, Holy Spirit, walk in the Holy Spirit, and you will not gratify the cravings of the sinful nature or, uh, or literally flesh. And he says because the flesh and the Spirit are warring against one another. And he literally says the same phrase. He says the flesh and the Spirit are warring so that you don't do what you will to do. This, this, this flesh and the Spirit are battling. Your Spirit why? Because your spirit is now one with the Holy Spirit. Your spirit is born again. And there's this battle going on inside of you. Flesh and spirit. And the result of that is if you give into the flesh, you don't do what you want to do. Well, what is it that you want to do? You want to obey God. And, and how is it that in Galatians 5 it says, walk in the spirit, you will not gratify the crazy of sinful nature. Most Christians think walk in the spirit means be perfect. Don't sin. Well, how can be perfect, don't sin, and you will not sin? How, how, that just doesn't make any sense. Galatians 5, walk in the Spirit, and you won't sin. So how can it be like, don't sin, and you won't sin? Walk in the Spirit is the means to gain victory over the flesh. Walking in the Spirit has to be something other than just try really hard, don't sin, and, and be perfect as a Christian, which is what most people think walk in the Spirit is, right? No, there's this battle going on, flesh versus Spirit. This is what he's describing. That there are aspects in us that here, I want to do this, but I find myself doing that. I have these habits from my past. I have these wrong ways of thinking. I have these doubts. I have these things that I, that I struggle with. And what he, what he goes on here, he describes this struggle in verse 15. And listen to what he says. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. That's a whole other point we'll get into later. But listen to verse 17. But now... Everyone say, but now. Yeah. Every time in Romans he says, but now, he's referring to being in Christ. He's referring to the grace of God and the righteousness of God revealed. He says, but now. Listen, listen to what he says. It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Oh, that's great. What is he doing? Like, you know, uh, I didn't do it. Bob did it, right? I didn't sin. James, it was James. What, what is he doing? Is he not, is he blaming? Is he not taking, is he making excuses? Is he shifting responsibility? I mean, what is this guy? Is he schizophrenic or something like that? I mean, is this, what, is this, is, this is the apostle Paul here. Is he setting a bad example for us, right? No, absolutely not. But do you hear what he just said? But now, it's no longer I who do it. I didn't do it. But sin that dwells in me. And listen where he defines the dwelling in me part. He's very, very clear here. He's making a very, very clear distinction that you can only understand if you understand what it means to be righteous in Christ. That you understand that your spirit is born again, but you still have this other junk going on. Listen, he says, verse 18, For I know that in me, 
that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not do, but the evil I will not to do that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Right, verse 19 and 20, he kind of just repeats himself. And so verse 19 and 20, he's saying once again, if this struggle that's going on inside of me, where, where, where I don't do what I want to do and, I, and I, I do what I don't want to do, he says, that, that's not me. He says, that's sin that dwells in me. And then he defines what he means by in me. He, he says, my flesh. That part of me that's not saved. That part of me that's not redeemed. That part of me that's still hostile to God, still has broken ways of thinking and unbelief and stuff. But then listen to what he does. He aligns himself with the reality that we've been talking about. And he says this in verse 21. I find then a law that evil is present with me in his flesh, right? That's what he said in in the previous verses. So I find then a law that evil is present with me. The one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. Again, is he schizophrenic or does he know something that we don't know? He's saying, he's saying, there's this sin in my flesh and this flesh, it's hanging out with me. Where I go, there it goes, right? Like I ain't leaving this thing. Is everywhere I go is bugging me. But he says, this evil that's present with me, listen to what he says there. Verse 21, I find then a law that evil is present with me. And then he tells you who me is. The one who wills to do good. Do you see what he just said about himself? There's a part of me that wills to do good. And he actually tells you what it is. For I delight in the law of God. I love God's law. I love God's ways. I want to do what God wants me to do. That's the will in my heart. That's the desire in my heart. And he says, according to the inward man. He's talking about your spirit. He's talking about your, the inward man that Jesus has come to live in. And he says, see, in my inward man, I delight in God. In my inward man, I will to do good. That's who I am. That's who I really am. That's who I am in Christ. But this sin, it dwells in my flesh, this body of death, this broken part of me that that Paul in other places of Scripture says has already been crucified, is already dead, and we're just to throw it off. Right? Just, Just a chapter before this, he says, you used to be slaves of sin. And when you were slave to sin, you were like really committed to it. That's what he says. Romans 6, he's, oh, you were really, man, you were just devoted wholeheartedly to this sin. You used to live in this, you know? Right, and think about who he was preaching to. He's preaching to people who worshiped idols, and he's preaching to people who, you know, lived in immorality, sexual morality, and greed, and thieving, and, you know, bad business practices, and all, I mean, all this kind of different things like this. And, he, and he's saying, he's saying man, you used, to, you used to be so committed to that, you didn't even care, you know what I'm saying? I'm throwing, I'm throwing a little bit of my interpretation here, but seriously, that's what... You were a slave of sin. You were so committed to it. You didn't even care. You didn't even know, right? You didn't know that pride was bad. You thought pride was good, you know? Oh, you didn't even know. You didn't know that like thieving was wrong. You just thought like, hey, just get mine. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, I'm a business guy. You got to do what you got to do to survive, you know? And you didn't even realize it's wrong. He says you were a slave to sin. But good thing, good thing when you were a slave to sin, you were really committed to it. 
But now he says you're a slave of righteousness. I, let, me, let me translate this for you. It means that when you're a sinner, you were really good at sinning. And now that you're righteous in Christ, you're really bad at it. You're a bad sinner. You're really, really, really bad at sinning. You're not good at it anymore. You've died to that old life. You've died to sin. You've died to the power. You've died to the draw of sin. You say, but Dave, I still do it. But Dave, I still struggle. But Dave, you don't understand. Sometimes I really do want to do it. I know. And you hate it the whole time, don't you? Now, let me tell you, there are people who are, say they're Christians, and they're not born again. Uh, Okay? There are people who are not sincerely born again. Okay? But I'm talking to people who have put their faith in Jesus. I'm I'm talking to people where you've bowed the knee and said, Jesus, you're my Lord, and he has come on the inside of you. It's not your righteousness. It's his righteousness. And so guess what happens? You get saved, and you start hating that sin. You want to be different. And all of a sudden, like where you didn't realize you had pride, you're all of a sudden being like, oh, man, I've got so much pride. Lord, I I repent. Oh, I'm so so sorry. I don't want to be prideful. Do you realize the only reason you don't want to be prideful is because Jesus is living on the inside of you? Your hatred of sin, your desire to be different is evidence of the work of God in your life. It might not be the fruit of the Spirit yet, but it is evidence that he's working in your life. You wouldn't want God if you weren't born again. And this is what Paul is trying to show. Paul is trying to help them to understand. Because he just said a couple of chapters before what I've been preaching on. You're dead to sin alive to God. You're a slave of righteousness. You, you know, you're born again. He's, he's just talking about this life of Christ on the inside of us. And he's trying to answer, then why do I have this struggle going on? You have this struggle because you're perfect, but you're in process. You have this struggle because in your spirit you're righteous, but in your flesh you still got a lot of stuff going on. And we need the Lord to produce his fruit in us, to heal us, to deliver us, to redeem us, to change the way we think, to change the way we live, to change our habits. It's a lot of work, isn't it? It is. It is. This is not microwave Christianity. We want this like, bam, done. Or or like, you know, we think everything's like a demon. Some people are like that, right? Yeah, hey, you got to cast out demons at times, right? They mess with, you mess with you, right? And, um, and there's demons and stuff. But let me tell you, you can cast out a demon like instantaneously. and You can see healing. You know, and, and you can see even breakthrough. People, people want to go to classes and se- retreats and seminars. And they just want that breakthrough. They want that breakthrough. Man, I just want to be done, free, I'm finished, I'm complete. Uh, God likes me now, right? And that's really what people are usually after. People who are struggling in this. Oh, oh if, only, if only I could get free from this, then God will like me. You know, then oh, God will answer my prayers. Then I can do this. Then I can fulfill my... Oh, man, stop with all that, right? The reality is, is you can go to seminars, you can go to retreats, we can cast the demons out, but the reality is that, that soul, you can't cast your soul out. And, he, you, and he's not going anywhere. It's who you are. It's you. God doesn't want to d- deliver you from you. He wants to heal, I mean, he, doesn't, he wants to deliver you from your false self, but he wants to heal and redeem and restore you and make you who you were created to be. Your, your mind, God wants to... Beautify and transform and renew your mind, your will, your emotions. God wants your will completely aligned with his will. He wants you to will what he wills. He wants you to come into full agreement. That's obedience. He wants that in you. And he is completely committed to this process of transforming you. You know, guys will come to my office or, you know, I'll hang out with guys. And, and this is exactly what needs to be talked about. Because I talk to them who they are in Christ and, and obviously these questions are going to come up, right? And um, 
but I'll tell you, they'll, they'll say the same thing, though. They'll, they'll say that. But, but Dave, you don't understand. I mean, the pride in my heart. And I've been so rebellious. Or I've struggled with this issue for years. You don't understand, right? How, I, I don't know if I'm saved. And it's funny, you know, it's funny because I'm not very all that sympathetic really at times. And so they're like, I don't know if I'm saved. You know, like, I mean, all this stuff. I don't know if I'm saved. And I go, well, are you? Like, are you? And it's really funny because they usually know that they are. They're like, well, yeah, I am. You know? <laughs> and why are you asking me if you're saved or not? Why? Because they don't know if there's enough fruit in their life. They don't know if this sin disqualifies them. And I'm not saying you can't walk away from Jesus. That's a whole other subject, but you, you can't lose your salvation, by the way. Oops. Oh, I misplaced it. Oh, 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 oh. I mean, I misplaced stuff, right? Yeah, the other day I misplaced something that was really important. And I couldn't find it. Oh, 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 whoops. Where'd my salvation go? Where did I put that thing? Where'd it go? Oh, come on, you can't lose it. You can't misplace it. Can you walk away? Yeah, the Bible makes it very clear. The Bible uses a Greek word called apostatize. Walk away. Yeah, okay. So I'm not saying you can't walk away. But, but, but how much fruit is fruit? So here, these guys come and I, I say, oh, are you? Are you saved? And they usually, oh, uh, well, yeah, I guess I am, you know. I said, Did you put your trust in Jesus? Is he your righteousness? Have you received him as the Lord of your life, the leader of your life? Well, yeah. Well, then you're saved. But why do I struggle? Because you are saved. Do you realize that? Do you realize that you wouldn't be struggling? You wouldn't be coming to my office. You wouldn't be asking me this question. You wouldn't be like, I really want to obey God. Why do I rebel against God? You wouldn't be asking me that if you weren't saved. I'm not saying people couldn't fake it at times, but I'm telling you, I, 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 I've watched it. new Christians recently. I've, I've had some friends come to Jesus. It's hilarious. And I love listening to their story because it's like totally like mine, right? Like literally like the day after they get saved, you know, they call me up, Dave, is this lust? And then they like explain what's going on. And I go, yeah. <laughs> and they go, and I'm all excited about it, right? And they're like, they're like, I never knew this was lust. And I go, I know you didn't. And they're like, oh my gosh, the Holy Spirit's showing me what's lust now. And I'm like, that's just the beginning. <laughs> you don't even know what you've got yourself into. That I don't say that part. We are so often focused on outward rules and outward performance that we don't realize that God wants to get to the deep, deep root issues of our life. But I'm telling you, you wouldn't even know. I remember getting saved and realizing, I have so much pride. Where did that come from? Where, where did I realize that? Because let me tell you something. I was raised in, in religious uh, uh, settings that told me what rules were and what right and wrong were, so I could get that part, right? You could be like, oh, okay, hating, bad, hurting people, you know, lying. I could get that. And, and literally, like, I, I remember, actually, I had a really bad problem with lying, too, actually. And so I remember the moment I got saved, the Lord began to convict me not to lie. But see, I already knew that was wrong. But I am amazed. We have a way, as human beings, to be all on the outward stuff, feel all bad and religious. But it's only when you get saved that you actually realize the deeper stuff, like the Beatitudes, right? Like, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, the, the lust in your heart, the pride, you know? And I remember getting saved going, oh my goodness, I got pride, right? And years, the Lord just purifying that in my heart, purifying. Turn with me to Philippians 2. And just, let's just wrap it up with, with this truth here. I, I want to show you 
four truths. Four truths here real quick. I'm going to give it to you all at once. Verse 12 and 13 of, uh, of Philippians 2. Do you know that things grow when they have the conditions to grow, right? Like a, like a seed, you plant a seed in the ground. You've got to have the right conditions. You know I mean, I don't know, you ever try to grow a seed without water and soil? You know what I mean? This is kind of weird. You need certain conditions. And I, I want you to see, just really quick here, the conditions for a Christian to grow, the, the soil, the, 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 the environment. I want you to understand the nature of the process. Listen to me, listen to me. This right here that I'm going to read to you and just going to give it to you real quick, this is where Christians get shut down. This is it. If you don't understand the nature of the process, you know, like I said, if you think it's going to happen instantaneously, if you don't realize, man, the spiritual growth is not like a microwave, it looks like farming. Think relational, think farming, think, I mean, we're talking sowing and patience and consistency and discipline and, and just letting his life flow through us, that kind of a thing. If you don't realize it's relational, just being with the Lord and letting him change us as, as he models character to us. If we think it's program and we think it's like, you know, our own human effort, all this kind of stuff, it just shuts us down. But let me tell you, so many Christians do not understand the nature of the process that I already am and that I'm becoming and what that looks like. And I'll tell you, it's in this place that, go, that the enemy shuts us down, that he accuses us, says you're a hypocrite. You don't really want it. Because if you wanted it, you would change. That's not what Paul said in Romans 7. He said, man, I'm struggling, but the one who wills to do good, I, I will to do good. I want to obey God. I love God. You remember Jesus? He went to the, his disciples in, in, the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he said, your spirit is willing, but? And 99% of you, you always talk about how weak your flesh is. But that's not what Jesus emphasized. He says, your spirit indeed is willing, but your flesh is weak. Watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation. What did Jesus do? He spoke to the willingness that's on the inside of you because Christ was in them, right? John 15, you can look at that later. Literally, Jesus calling them forth, saying, in your spirit, you want this. You're willing, so give yourself to prayer. Don't give in to temptation because your flesh is weak. Yes, he acknowledged two realities, flesh and spirit. There's a battle going on. What did Paul say in Galatians 5? Walk in the spirit. Align yourself with the spirit. Align yourself with that reality. What, is, what was Paul modeling to us in Romans 7? I got this sin in my flesh, but I've got this one who wills to do good in me, my inner man. I want to do good. Align yourself with that reality. Walk in the spirit. Right? You see this all throughout the scriptures of this, this battle. And the enemy will come in. It's the oldest trick in the book. And say, you know God? You know God? He does. Right? What if, what if, you know, what if I were to do this in a marriage? Is this the easiest way to bring division? You cannot have intimacy without trust. What if I were to do this? Beth doesn't really like you very much. I know. <laughs> Don't say that. Come on now. You know. No, no. You know, like, what, right? Oh, she's been talking behind your back. Oh, she says you, you need to change all these things, and if you don't, you know, she's out, you know? Man, doubt, distrust, skepticism, fear, defensiveness, 
anger, right? That's what judging does. That's what the enemy does. He accuses and he accuses and he tries to sow division between us and God and then between ourselves, right? Create division by, oh yeah, I'm better than you and you're better than me and let's, let's, let's judge each other and envy each other, right? This is what religion does. This is what accusation does. And I'm telling you right here, these four truths I'm gonna tell you, these are the four truths the enemy attacks. This is the nature of the process, And yet this is what we need to stand firm in. Just listen to verse 12 and 13, Philippians 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. I could probably show this from many different passages, but right here, four truths. Just throw them up there really quick in reverse order from the passage. See if you can get it up there. Bam, four truths. The first one, they'll get it up there. The first one, if you look at the end of the verse, he says, for his good pleasure, in accordance with, in accordance with, or for the sake of his own good pleasure. He delights in you at the beginning he delights in you in the middle. He delights in you at the end. That, that lie that God doesn't like you, he doesn't delight in you, he's mad at you, God, God's mostly just grieved and angry and disappointed with you is an absolute lie and an absolute accusation it will shut your heart down every single time. It says right there that God's pleasure is in you. He is literally delighting and enjoying you and he's delighting in the actual process of changing you. He says he works in you for his own good pleasure. He's working in you and it brings him pleasure. In accordance with, for the sake of his own pleasure, he's working in you. He likes you. Why? Why did he even die for you? Why did he even do it? It's not like, okay, prodigal son part two, right? Luke 15, prodigal son part two. We all know the first part of the story, you know, son comes home, father gives the son a big hug. Yeah, you're home. Oh, and there's joy, right? It's all about joy in that passage. Yes, the lost sheep is home. You know, the lost coin, I found lost. The lost son is home. Joy. He hugs his son. He gives him, a, gives him the coat, right? The ring on his finger. I mean, bam, he restores his inheritance, has a party, fills the cat and kills the fattened calf. Yes, prodigal son part two. Most of it goes like this for most of us. If you were to make the move, you'd go something like this. Prodigal son wakes up the second day and the father goes, oh, it's you. See, most of us, we forgot who we came home to. A really, really good dad who delights in us. Prodigal son part two is he wake up and he goes, ah, you're home. <laughs> you're still home. Good. <laughs> you didn't leave again. This is a good thing, right? <laughs> you don't, the father's joy. That's what the prodigal son story is all about. The father's joy and delight in you that he's always delighting and enjoying in, in you. And he is doing this. What, what he's doing, he's delighting in. The, with this comes this promise. L- listen to these promises. Listen to these promises real quick here. <clears throat> there we go. Where to go? Listen to Hosea 14.4. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 5. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, he who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Look at Philippians chapter one. 
being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Do you realize because he's working in you for his glory and for his pleasure, because he's delighting in you now, he's delighting you in the process, he's going to delight in you when you're done. You don't have to earn, you don't have to strive. It's not like, okay, when I get this figured out, now God will like me. He likes you right now. And he has promised, he has promised, I will sanctify you completely. The one who is faithful will do it. That means he's made a promise, he cannot lie, he will finish it, right? We've talked about this. Did Jesus promise to come and die? And he did it, right? Is he going to come back? Yeah, he can't lie. He's made promises. And I've even showed you. He is so filled with burning desire. He died for the nations. The nations will be his inheritance. Well, he died to finish his work in you. He died to make you a glorious church, to reign with him. And he is not coming back. I mean, he can come back any minute now. But I mean, he's not coming back until he finishes his work in you. He has promised to heal even that deep waywardness in our own hearts. Jeremiah 29 says that he's literally written his law upon our hearts and our mind. He comes inside of us to impart his righteousness and empower us to live for him. Man, he wants to get it done for his own glory and for his own pleasure. He is completely committed to you. He is completely committed to the process, and he is completely committed to the goal. He doesn't get discouraged, disappointed. He doesn't get distracted. Oh, I think I'll just go start another planet. These guys are really tough to It's not like that. He's been in this. He has been in this for thousands of years. He's not giving up on you. He promises, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I will finish this. I mean, how many times does it have to be said in the word of God? The one who's faithful, he will do it. He will finish what he started in you, whether it's your calling or your character, whatever God has created you for, he will finish it. He's not gonna, he's not like, Oh, well, this guy's really hard to work with. No, he, you understand, he is 10 times, he's a million times more stubborn than you are. Has anyone figured that out? He is so stubborn. He will get his will done. He's the God who works out everything in conformity to the purpose of his will. And his will is for you to be wholly his. I mean, this God is super stubborn, filled with passion and desire and commitment to you and to this. All right, so, so we're talking, we're talking, he's delighting you in the process. He's completely committed to this. He's promised it. And it's his power. Did you see that it said that he works in you to will and to do? You know that the word do actually is the same word that he's working in you to will or desire and to work. You know, you know how, you know how the, the, the verse right before it said, said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? Okay, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's your part. But the basis for your part is his part. You're working out your salvation with fear and trembling because... He's already working in you to will and to do. You're, all you're doing is responding to God's work in you and partnering with God's work in you. It's not your own human effort. You're partnering with him. And notice that it says to work in you and to work. Wait a minute. So I'm commanded to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. And the exact same way he's working in me to will and to work. You work out your salvation because he's already working in you the desire and the ability to do that. I mean, he's covered this. Jesus is literally called the author and finisher of our faith, right? Who for the joy set before him. Right? He did this for joy's sake, to get you back. And he's the one who started it, and he's the one who's going to finish it. And what does Hebrews 12 say? He's the author and finisher of faith, so set your eyes on him. You work out your salvation with fear and trembling means that your partnership is required. Your partnership is absolutely required. 
But we're out of time to talk about that. No. It's real simple. I no longer live. It's Christ who lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith. It's trust. It's relationship. It's abiding in him. It's depending on him. I think it looks exactly like what Paul was trying to tell us. It's simply this. Stop imagining God as a God who's looking down at you, frowning and angry and disappointed, and you're not doing enough. Stop looking at a God where you have to be like, please help me, please change me, I'm so sorry. Stop imagining a God that you have to like manipulate and convince to change you or to help you or to fulfill your calling. Stop making empty promises and bargains with God. Stop thinking that you have to work it up, right? <clears throat> we kind of imagine like, like, it's kind of like God gives grace and then we have to do our part. You know what I'm saying? Like, here's a little bit. Here's a little bit for you. Here's a little bit. And then he like stands back and waits for us to figure it out, right? It's kind of like, he's like, okay, I died for you. Okay, I died for you. Okay, well, I hope you make it to heaven. I hope you figure this whole thing out, you know? Jeez, you know, I'm off to other things. Like, we really think that God's like left us to just earn it and figure it out. When he's literally the one infusing us with the ability, do you realize that he's given us the motivation, the will? He says to work in you, to will and to do. You come to God and you say, I really don't want to obey you, God. I mean, I want to want to want, maybe to want, to want to want to want, but I don't really want it. That's all right, because he's going to work in you to will. And he's going to turn that I want to want to want into more of like a I want. And then he's going to turn it into a to do. He's going to take your I kind of want to where you really want. And then it's going to turn into I will. And then it's going to turn into I do. He has the ability to stir up motivation on the inside of you. But when you don't think God delights in you, when you don't realize he's working in you, then you're always the one striving always the one being afraid and doubting. You're always the one trying to earn it and, and it shuts down all grace. It shuts down all motivation and it shuts down all power. This is where the enemy accuses. This is where we get shut down. But if we'll believe the Lord that he's the one delighting in us and he's the one working in us and he's the one doing it for his good pleasure and he's the one who's promising so he'll bring it to pass, it opens up our hearts to receive his desire, his will, and his ability. And we simply partner with him. We trust in him we link up with him in this relationship and we walk in this reality. <clears throat> so if my son is trying to learn how to read, what do, I, what do I say to him? He's trying to learn how to read, right? Or, I'm not going to help you until you figure it out. Oh, I already helped you learn those ABCs. Now it's up to you now. But that's how so many of us view God. That's how we view Grace. What, what, what do I actually say to my son when he kind of freaks out, right? He does the freaking out thing like all of us do. Ah, I can't do it. Ah, right? We all do that with things. I mean, we all have our different ways of approaching things we're learning, right? Whether it be character or math or it doesn't matter. What do I say to my son? Buddy, 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 buddy. You don't have to know how to read. You just need to Practice. You don't need to know how to read right now. That's silly, right? You just do what I say, right? right now, I'm not trying to control him. I'm trying to empower him, right? Just, just do what I say. Just, just write the words. Just spell, you know, sound out K-A-T. K-A-T, right? Like he knows how to do it. Just, just keep it going. Just do it over and over again, right? Spell it out. <laughs> Practice. Read the Bob books. Read the Jane and, you know, Jane and whoever, you know, whatever. 
Dick and Jane books, right? Just, what do you do? You practice over and over and over again. Is he going to get it wrong? Going to get it wrong. Going to fall down? Going to mess up? Going to say something funny? Okay, what do I do? Get mad at him? No. See, we don't see character development like this, do we? Where God is actually the God who delights in you and loves you and he's coaching you, empowering you. Where he says to you, you don't have to be like Christ, you just need to trust me. You just need to come to me, hear what I have to say, and do it. If I tell you there's a sin, repent. If I expose something, just confess it as sin, repent. If I, if I tell you, if I give you some wisdom, say, like, God, I'm really foolish with my finances. Well, here you go. All you gotta do, right? That's what we love about, you know, like things we do around here, like financial peace. You don't have to have it all figured out. You just show up. You just listen to God. You just get in his word. You just practice. And guess what? You fall down. You make mistakes. And he's delighting you as you fall down. And as you get up and say, Lord, I I totally disobeyed you. (laughs) I totally did. You know, you told me to witness to that guy. I didn't witness to that guy. I totally disobeyed you. That, That was wrong. You were right. I was wrong. I confess it. You don't have to say this many words, but you know, I'm just... And he's delighting in you the whole time. And you say, oh God, give me the willingness. Give me the desire. Give me the ability. Teach me, God. And you go and you talk to friends and you say, oh, I need some wisdom on how to, how to do this for God or whatever. It could be anything. He's delighting you the whole time. He's the dad who goes, let's just read together. Here, let's do it together. Oh, here, let me teach you. Let me help you. But the great thing is, is he's not just a dad. He's not just on the outside of us coaching us and everything. He's literally on the inside of us empowering us. Is deeper reality than anything else. Amen? And he will finish what he started. And so just agree with him. Say yes to him. If he says you're righteous, say yes. If he says, hey, we got some issues in your life, just say, yes, we do. <laughs> All right? So we are done. Listen, we are done with looking at us, self, lack. We're done beating ourselves up. Do you see what I'm saying? We are done with self-pity. We are done with why, why me, you know, and all this. Right? We're done with imagining God as an angry God. Amen? We are done. We are done with empty, vain promises. The worst thing you could say, well, okay, it's in the top ten. I'll never do it again, God. Oh, please forgive me. I'll never do it again. It's just, yeah, right. Okay, that's like the silliest thing. It's well, top ten. Like, we're done. Stop it. Stop bargaining, stop doing penance, stop, stop saying empty promises, stop it, and just live in that reality. Just focus on who you are in Christ, right? Stop focusing on self, stop focusing on your lack, and stop, stop counting how many times you didn't sin. Oh, I haven't sinned for three weeks, or, well, I've been, I've been doing good. Who cares? Just focus on Jesus. Just focus on who he is. Look at his fullness. Look at his righteousness. Stand in faith in who you are in Christ. No more hiding. No more hiding. No more excuses. No more ignoring problems in your life. No more hiding sin. You're loved and accepted and delighted in. Tell people. Tell God. Say, yes, I am. Oh, yes, I am. I have pride. Yes, that's a problem in my life. Let's talk about it. Well, you don't have to hide from him because he likes you. You don't have to ignore it because he already knows. That's the crazy thing. Christians come to me, Dave, I have so much pride. Yeah, you didn't even know it before you were saved. What do you think? God's surprised? He likes you. He's revealing it because he wants to do this. Why are you freaking out? Don't freak out. We're, we're done with all that. Amen? Amen? Done with all of that. And we're ready to embrace the God who loves us and delights in us. To see him as the one right there at the kitchen table as we're learning to read or love people or be a good husband or evangelize or whatever. He's right there. He's helping us. He's delighting in us. He's empowering us. He's motivating us. And he's absolutely committed to us. He's not going to be like, 
I'm done. I'm getting you a tutor. You know what I mean? Like he's just not going to, he's not going to do that. Amen? All right.